That's the title of the message, Great Expectation. So in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, the, the doxology, the, here in this letter, Paul says, I, To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. Those are some superfluous terms. Like exceedingly, abundantly. Those are like exponential and powerful terminology right there. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all. That we could ask or think. God is able. And, and, and the implication here is he's above all. He's above all thrones, all powers, every principality. He's above it all and none of anything can hinder him. This is the implication of this passage. There is nothing because he is above it all that can hinder him from doing exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we could ask or think. Check this out. According to... The power working in us. In other words, in harmony with or through the power. God is doing this exceeding and abundant work, this exceeding abundant above all work. He's doing it according to the power that is working in us. So it's in harmony with the spirit that's in us. It's through us. And he says, to to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. To all generations. Everybody say all. All. We're going to use that word quite a bit here this morning. All generations. Right? That's the beautiful thing. When when Peter preached on on the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit of God came and hit Jerusalem. and, And Peter said, this promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off. All generations. Forever. That's a long time. And then he says, and ever. So not only forever, but and ever. So again, superfluous terminology. Exponential terminology, right? He does exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. And to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. A lot of exponential Big language in this passage. I, I want today to encourage our expectation as a church. We need to get a, a bigger and a better expe- expectation. Amen? I, I think a lot of Christians are, are crippled by doubt, fear, by doom and gloom, by lack of understanding, and it hinders us from living a life that I believe God wants us to live, the living in a way uh, that God wants us to live. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach in, in the month of April, getting ready. I've been studying the book of Revelation for the, the, the past several weeks. And I'm not going to talk about nuclear bombs. I'm not going to try to figure out if, if those wasps that are in there are helicopters or what nations he's talking about or who the Antichrist is or what's Babylon. You know what I'm going to focus on? Jesus and what he's doing. You know what the purpose of the book of Revelation is? It's to show us that Jesus is coming to remove the usurper out of this planet and establish his kingdom. Amen? And it's working through the church. It begins, the, the first part of Act, our Revelation is a church that, that is dysfunctional, and at the end, we're a people who are in, living in perfect harmony in a world where there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sickness, that there's trees growing there, that fruit is, is for the healing of the nations. It's, it's a book of triumph, and it's a book of victory, and so many times we approach that 
worried and fearful about whether the, the boogeyman, the Antichrist, is going to get us or not. Right? Are, are we going to get the mark on accident? Listen, you will not accidentally take the mark. If you do it, it will be purposeful because you've rejected Jesus. And for no other reason. For no other reason. Right? We don't have to be fearful. We, we need a more hopeful eschatology, a, a more hopeful outlook on end times. The church is triumph, triumphal and victorious. We, the old, we used to sing that song, we win, we win, we win, hallelujah, we win. I've read the back of the book and we win. Right? You read Revelation, it tells us we win. So we don't have to fear, we don't have to feel defeated, we don't have to worry, we don't have to look at uh, what systems are being set up on the planet, what governments are doing, what's, what's, the, what's the World Wide Web going to do to destroy the church? All these fears and all these anxieties that, that so many Christians have, we need a better outlook, we need a better hope, we need a better expectation. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I've been saying for a long, long time that what I believe we're seeing now is going to happen. A revival of young people in, in our nation that's going to infect the entire planet. I've been saying that for a long, long time, but every once in a while I doubt it. We talk about it amongst my peers. We, we talk about this idea. There's some, some of them that just don't believe that America is so far gone and the world is so far polluted and, and the, the depravity of man is spiraling so far out of control that they don't believe that there could ever be another great revival or awakening. And sometimes when they say that and share that, I believe it. You're right. It is pretty pathetic. Look at our leaders. Look at our nation. Look at this. Look at that. Look at what's going on on our school campuses. It, it, it's easy to begin to doubt. But we need to get a better expectation. Expectation, the way, our faith, the way we look at life determines the way that we live. And really, ultimately, the way we view God determines your perspective of God determines the way you live your life. Is he great? Come on, is he great? Yes. Is he mighty? Yes. Is he able to save? Yes. Is he able to deliver? Yes. Is he able to heal? Is he coming back to establish his kingdom? Is he triumphal over death, hell, and the grave? Is he a victorious God? Is he a triumphal God? Is he a magnificent God? Is he a mighty God? Is he a holy God? He is. Then why don't we live like he is? Why don't we live like he is? Why don't we have that? Is he a God of exceeding abundance? Is he a God who is above all? Is he a God that will do any, exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think? Is he not? Let's begin to live our lives that way. I love this quote from, from uh, the missionary William Carey. It said, he said to expect great things and attempt great things for God. He said, uh, let me back up. He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I believe that we need to start living that way. We need to begin to expect great things from God. That when you go to work in the morning, that God's going to use you in your little cubicle, in your office, in your field, that God's going to use you. That God's going to save your grand grandchildren that are acting crazy. Right? We need to stop acting like the world is going to fall apart. The sky is going to fall. The church is going to uh, fail. We need to begin to expect great things God, for, from God and attempt great things for God. I want to give just a little bit more context of this passage in Ephesians chapter 3 that we read. Ephesians, we read 3, 20 and 21. Let, let's look at this passage. I, I love this passage in Ephesians chapter 1, 
Verse 15, Paul talk, talking to the church at Ephesus, he says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Man, we really need to pray that prayer for the church today. That, that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That we wouldn't be crippled by fear, that we wouldn't let our, our lack, our doubt, our, what, what, what we're seeing happening all around us dictate our, our decision-making process, dictate the way that we think, dictate the way that our worldview shapes out and is lived out in this world, but that we would live from a place of the wisdom of God, that we would view everything as God sees it, right? Truly having the mind of Christ, getting heaven's perspective. That, that's what prayer does. Prayer vaults our perspective above all of the situations and circumstances that we're seeing and facing, it lifts us. This is why Satan hates prayer so much. It's because it lifts our perspective above his lies. When we pray, we get in tune with heaven, and it lifts us up with all the, above all the cloudiness of this world, all of the confusion, all of the distractions, all of the, the circumstances and situations that come and suck the life out of us. Prayer vaults us above that and gives us heaven's perspective. We get a, a revelation of the knowledge of God right? And live with the spirit of wisdom. We need to pray that. God, give us that. Give us this spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of who he really is. So that our decision, our way of thinking would be totally different than the way we think. Our thinking is muddy. It's got the world all over it. We'll never see revival because so-and-so is in the White House. We'll never see revival because such-and-such such going on in our schools, because we've allowed this to happen. And, and, and by the way, somebody mentioned this. Could it be that the revival that we are seeing right now is because our leadership in this nation made a righteous stand for life? Something to think about. I, I believe, I, I don't think anything's coincidental. I believe when we make decisions to do things right, to live according to God's word, God honors that. Amen. May our leaders, we, we prayed that at the beginning of our service today, may our leaders repent. Everyone who, of our leaders who are, are rebelling against the ways of the Lord, may they get a revelation of who our God is. May they see Jesus and turn from their sin and begin to establish righteousness in our nation. It matters. It matters. May their perspectives be lifted up over the political systems, over all the lies, over their, their, uh, their uh, I sort of say denomination, their uh, uh, party lines, their, their party platforms. May their perspectives be lifted above that, their agendas, their political power. May their eyes be lifted above all that to see what is important in the sight of God, and may they begin to live accordingly. So Paul says, I, I'm giving thanks for you. I'm praying for you that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And in verse 18, he says that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Church, may God make to us known what is the hope of his calling. For us, as the people of God, there is a glorious hope written over your life. 
of the calling of God. Each and every one of us in this room, everyone who bears the name of Jesus, everyone who has bowed the knee, everyone who is saved, everybody who has been born again in this house today, there is a glorious call that's over your life. May we come to understand what that glorious hope is. He says, what are the riches of his glory, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding, look at this, greatness. We talked about power, the power that's working in us in Ephesians 3.21. What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? The working of his mighty power. God is working, right? He's working in us. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, and he's working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's spirit is working in us. God's power is working in us. As believers, the, 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 the mighty power of God, greater, that we, that's why we could say, greater is he who is on the inside of me than he that is in this world. The power of God is resident in the heart of the believer. He's working on the inside of us. Amen? According to the working of his mighty power. And this is the power, look at this in verse 20, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. The same power that raised Jesus up from the grave and sat him at the right hand of the Father is working on the inside of us. That glorious power is resident in us. So why are we tromping through the mud? Why are we weighed down with, weight, with, with the weight of fear and anxiety and worry and circumstance and situation and doubt about everything that we're seeing? This mighty power is working in us. And this is power, it says, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And check this out, it's far above all principality and power and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, right? Jesus is Lord over everything in this age. So why do we think anything in this age is going to defeat us? Why do we think any government, any political system, any religion, any people group, any civil group, any uh, you name it is going to stop us? Any demon in hell, for that matter, is going to be able to stop us from walking out our glorious call. Why do we think that? He's far above all principality, all power, all might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. Not only is he Lord over everything in this age, he's Lord over everything in the age to come. He is supreme. And he puts all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all. Everybody say all. All things in the church. Right? The church is okay. Right? We, we've got to get off of this pulpit where everybody's preaching about what's wrong with the church. The church is perfectly fine. There are religious systems and people groups and things out there that, yeah, they're, they're in chaos. They're not fulfilling the purposes of God. They're a show and a sham, et cetera, et cetera. But the church, God has a church. And the true, true, true church is just fine. The true church is all right. 
God's purposes are, are working in the earth, right? Because he's the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Check this out. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Everybody say all. all. In all. Are you seeing it? Another superfluous terminology here. What is the body? The church is his body. Look at this. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The church on planet earth is the fullness of Jesus, of him who fills all in all. Do you see that? Do you see the reality of the position that we have? We're the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus, when he, when he was, before he went away, he told his disciples, these things that you see me doing, greater works shall you do. The ministry of Jesus continues through his people. The ministry of Jesus continues through his church. We're here to do the work of Jesus on planet earth, Period. This is our position. So, and, and we have to read every scripture in context. So we're putting some context on this passage in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that, that, that he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we would ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. The glory of God is manifesting through his church through all generations forever and ever. This is, the, this is the perspective that we are not a defeated people. We're not limited by any government system. We're, we're not limited by any religion that would try to strangle out the gospel of Jesus. We're not limited by any power in hell. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that can stop the church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen. We are a victorious people. Amen? Amen. Amen. More context. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. Have you ever seen somebody who's rich? I mean, really rich. Have you seen somebody drive up in a Lambo? Like a half a million dollar car. And get out in a $5,000 suit. Right? They got that black American Express. They got money roll in their pocket. Their, their, their rings aren't fake. Their watch costs more than your car, right? Have you really seen somebody wealthy? That, that's what this word right here means. Somebody who is embellished with goods. God is rich in love and mercy. He's, in, he's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. God loves his church. God loves his people. God is rich in mercy towards us because of his great love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, verse 5 says, he made us alive together. Everybody say together. together. With Christ. See, this all in all, it ain't, it ain't resident in just me. It ain't resident in just you. It's the body. 
There is not one individual member of this body. Some of y'all think y'all are the fivefold ministry rolled up in one. Y'all think you're the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That was Jesus. None of us together possessed it all. But all of us together possess it collectively. The glory of God. The power of God. The riches of God. The glory of this calling. It's us together because he has raised us up together. And he's made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding, the exceeding, there's another superfluous word right there, the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is what God wants to do. He wants to show his kindness towards us because he's, he's, he's got mercy towards us because of his great love for us. And his power is working in us. Church, this is our identity. This is who we are in Christ Jesus. We're a victorious people. We're an overcoming people. We're a powerful people, right? He said, when my spirit comes, it's going to give you power and you will be my witnesses. This is our identity. This is who we are. Amen? So we, we need a greater expectation. We need a greater expectation. And you know what? We, we have an assignment on planet Earth. It's called the Great Commission. How many of you have heard the Great Commission? And I want to say this. It is not the OK Commission. It is the Great Commission. It's God's ultimate purpose for us on planet Earth. Right? And it is not mission impossible. It is mission inevitable. It's going to come to pass. The Great Commission is going to be fulfilled. The gospel of Jesus declared to all of the nations of the earth. It's going to happen and we need to get an expectation of that. Pastor Chad, this nation's going to, the, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. There's no hope for this world. It's all falling apart. Are you kidding me? Again, we need a better expectation. What is the command of the Great Commission? I want to I remind us of this. I read this to you last week. Jesus came and he spoke to his disciples and he says, All authority. Everybody say all. I'm going to give you a little bit of authority. Is that what, is that what Jesus said? No, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of some nations. As long as, there's not, as long as there aren't many hostile people there, you can disciple those nations. As long as they're not resistant to the gospel, you can disciple those nations. Is that what it says? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're going to do that here in just a minute. Teaching them to observe some things. Some of the stuff that I taught you. Pick your favorite ten. Keep those. Right? No. Observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you. Here's another one. Always. Go and preach, and every once in a while I'll show up and visit you. I'll help you. No? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end 
of the age. All authority has been given to me. Go and preach the gospel to all nations, teaching them to deserve all things that I've taught. And I will always be with you. This is the promise. This is the promise. I'm here today to tell you we need to get a greater expectation of the Great Commission. We shouldn't be surprised that what's happening on our university campuses in America today are happening. This this should be our expectation. This should be our hope. This is why we do what we do every single day is because we want to see people come to know Jesus Christ. We want to see the, the nations discipled. That's what we're living for. It should be our expectation. This is our glorious, this is the glorious hope of our calling right here. That God's kingdom would be manifest on planet Earth. This is the glorious hope of that calling. This is why we are here. And we need to get a greater expectation. It, it, what we, turn your social media on. I, I don't ever do this. Usually, how many times have you heard me to say shut it off? And to stop posting political stuff and to stop this and stop that, right? Stop all the negativity. Stop airing your laundry on social media. For once, Pastor Chad is telling you to turn it on. Turn it on and go look for the posts about what's going on in our college campuses. High school, it's gone on to high school campuses now. And churches, we're seeing churches that are seeing outpouring. We're seeing it in Brownsville Revival. They're gathering, uh, the, the church in Pensacola, uh, Brownsville uh, Assemblies of God. They're, they're in revival. It's happening. Nations, I, I saw in the Flip, Philippines, thousands of people going into this massive body of water to be baptized this week. It's happening all over planet Earth. Go and look. Behold what the Lord is doing because it is a glorious thing. Amen? Amen? I shared that prophecy with you guys last week. Uh, 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 Lee Watts, who was the the chaplain in in the Kentucky State House back in 2017, he he made this statement. He said that that what happens in Kentucky happens in America. He said if if Kentucky were a body, or if America were a body, then Kentucky would, would be its heart. Kentucky is a bellwether state. That, you know that terminology? You know what the bell, the bell cow is? The bell cow is the one that has the bell and the rest of the herd follows it? That, that's the idea. That whatever happens in Kentucky happens in America. And he gave you the historical overview of that. The Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening started in Kentucky. Went, over and over and again, he gave historical evidence of great things happening in Kentucky that ended up affecting our nation. And in 2017... Lee Watts said this. He said, there's coming a revival that will start on our Christian university campuses in the state of Kentucky. It'll spread to other Christian universities, and then it will begin to spread to the secular universities. Within, within two weeks, we've already, we're seeing that being fulfilled. Baylor, which started as a, a Baptist university, but it is really today a secular, mostly secular university, they're having revival on their campus. Western Kentucky, I, 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 sat with, I sat with some parents yesterday. We had lunch uh, with basketball parents. They, they have a freshman at Asbury that in, just encountered this, this, this revival that happened there. They were at Asbury when the 19, they, were, they met and got married through Asbury, and they were students on the campus in 1995 when the revival broke out in that year. And they talked about how this is trickling out and these students are beginning all these they they talked about the university students that were coming from all over and they're taking it back to their college campuses uh it's happening at western kentucky right now today i think at two o'clock 
They're, they're uh, starting a, a service at 2 o'clock in Rupp Arena on the University of Kentucky's campus. That stadium will be filled with young people worshiping Jesus, encountering Jesus today. I, I, I was pleased to see on the campus of Texas A&M University, one of the largest universities on, in, our, in our nation, they're, they're in revival. There were about five to 10,000 students that I saw pictures of standing on the parking lot at Kyle Field, where the football stadium is at, and they were, bab- they were worshiping. They had acoustic guitars. They were praying together. They were laying hands on one another. They were, uh, you, you name it, just the Spirit of God moving, and they were baptizing people in the fountain out in front of the football stadium. Amen? That's awesome. That's, that's not a Christian university. That, that's a secular university. And we are just beginning to see the beginning of this. And we need a great expectation. I said it last Sunday. We need to pray into that. We need to pray for these young people. We need to pray that, that revival would break out on every college campus in the United States of America. Church, pray into that. Amen? Pray into it. I, I believe what John Edwards, the old preacher uh, that came out of the Great Awakening, he, he, he made this statement. He said, it seems that God does nothing except his people first pray. We people... The people of God need to stand in the gap for this generation. We need to pray for the young people and believe for this revival that I believe is going to happen. I believe it with everything that's on the inside of my heart. I I want to wrap up with just reading some scriptures about the harvest and what the word of God says about the harvest. Psalm 2, verse 7 through 8 says, I declare in the, the decree, the Lord has said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. And this is the father speaking to the son. Ask of me and I will give to you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. That's the promise of God to his son. Psalm 96, verse 10 through 11. Say among the nations, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He will judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad. Amen. Let the earth be glad. We need joy on planet earth. Right? We need joy. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all of its fullness. We need a better expectation. Let all the nations say the Lord reigns. We're going to see in our lifetime, I believe, the nations declaring the Lord reigns. And I'm not saying that all of humanity is going to be saved. I'm saying that in every nation, there is going to be a witness of people. There's going to be a remnant in every nation on planet earth that call upon the name of the Lord. I'm convinced more and more that when Jesus returns, that's what's going to be happening on planet earth. Revival. I believe this. Revelation 5 and 9, it says, They sang a new song. You were worthy to take the scroll and open the seals, and you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. That's the declaration of the saints in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Out of every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. It's not just going to be American and Jewish people. It's going to be every single tribe, nation, tongue. That's what God's kingdom is going to look like. Well, that couldn't happen in Iran. That couldn't happen in Afghanistan. That couldn't happen in Egypt, some of the hardest nations on the planet. Actually, it will happen. The prophets have declared it. You go and read Jeremiah. I won't read the whole passage to you just for the sake of time, but go and read Jeremiah 49, 37 
through 39. And in that passage, he declares that there are going to be people in southern Iran that are, that are followers of Jesus. That's what the prophet Jeremiah declared. And in Isaiah chapter 19, 24 and 25, there's a declaration that there will be Egyptians, Assyrians, and Jews in the kingdom of God. You know, they're actually some of the, the fastest growing churches on planet Earth. We looked at this a couple of years ago. We looked at the actual statistics of it. The fastest growing church on the planet is in the roughest, hardest areas. Iran and Afghanistan, two of the fastest growing churches on planet Earth. Whereas there, there is, is the most vehement opposition and resistance to the gospel where they're killing people for, for preaching the gospel. They're killing people for converting to faith in Christ. And that's the fastest growing churches on the planet. The gospel of Jesus is on the move. And the gates of hell can do nothing to stop it. In fact, when they try, listen, the, 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 the old saying, the, the blood of the saints is what waters the seed of the gospel. And that's the reality. Whenever, whenever the people of God are willing to go and preach, uh, in, in, in fact, I want to say this, and we need a boldness. We need a boldness. Because if you look at Acts 1 and 8, I shared this with a young man that was, he, we, we brought him home from the basketball game with us last night. He was riding home with us, and I shared this with him. That, that the Bible says in Acts 1 and 8, that when the power, that power is going to come upon us so that we could be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I, said, you know, I asked that young man, do you know what that word witness in the Greek, do you know what the original word is? It's the word martus. See, the Spirit of God comes upon us to make us martyrs. That, that's not meaning that we're going to die for our faith necessarily. It, what, what it means is that the power of God's Spirit empowers us to live in such a way where we don't fear death. That's the reality of what it's saying. We leave the, 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 the consequences in God's hands. If I live or if I die, I'm going to preach the gospel. If I'm received or rejected, I'm going to declare the gospel. That's what the power of the Spirit of God comes upon us to do, so that we can live that way and be a witness throughout all of the nations, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's God's intent, that's God's plan, and that's God's purpose for the church. We need to understand this. I'll give you one more, one more passage of Scripture, and, and then, uh, then I'm really going to preach for a second, and we're going we're to pray. Romans eleven twenty five. 11.25, it says, I, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mysteries, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. The blindness, in part, has happened to Israel. Israel is in blindness today until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. Has come. What is the fullness of the Gentiles? It is the proclamation of the gospel to all the nations of the earth. This time of space, the season that we live in, the Jews have been blinded for this season so that the gospel would be preached to the nations of the earth. This is the plan and the purpose of God. This is why we exist as a church. So now let me preach for just a second. I think in, 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 in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, there is a beautiful picture that we need to see. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, what, what happens, what is happening on our, our college campuses is a glorious thing. We see young people gathering to worship God, and they're encountering God. 
And there are, there are skeptics, there are people that have been critical of what's, what's happening, and there are things that are happening in the midst of this that we could be skeptical about. There are things that are going to happen and transpire that are not going to be fully pure. But we need to let that happen, and we need to keep our eyes on what matters. Young people are encountering Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah, before he became the prophet Isaiah, he talks about this encounter that he had with Jesus. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And Uzziah was a very successful king who had a, a, a horrific end, a failure of an end. But for the most of his reign, he was very successful and prosperous. He was esteemed, like many of us esteem politicians today. But Isaiah said the year that he died, sometimes those people that we esteem have to die so that we can get our eyes on Jesus. And the year Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he says, the train of his robe filled the temple with his glory. Now that's often compared to the train of a bride. And that's a glorious, beautiful picture of this long train coming down the aisle. But that's not the train that we're talking about here. This is actually talking about the train of a king. See, back in this time, the custom was that whenever a king would defeat an enemy, he would take his robe and cut it off and sew it to the end of his... He would take the robe of the king that he had defeated, cut that off, and sew it to his own robe. So the picture of Jesus' robe filling the entire temple. Why? Because every enemy has been defeated. He's derobed every enemy that's out there. See, this is the resurrected, I, I believe Isaiah gets a revelation of the resurrected Jesus who has defeated all of his foes. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was surrounded by the cherubim. That six, they, had, they had six wings. Two they covered their, their eyes. With two they covered their feet. And with two they did fly. And when he sees this revelation, what happens? He says, whoa, am I. He sees the holiness of God. These angels are saying, holy, holy. These cherubs are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Continually around the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. What does that mean? It means that God is set apart. He's not like man. He's not like any of the other gods of the nations. He alone is God. It's like Isaiah says in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. He alone is God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And Isaiah sees this holy God, and he, his response is, woe am I. Woe am I. It's happening on college campuses today. We're seeing young men and young women realize in the presence of God, as they encounter Jesus, they're repenting and turning from their sinful ways. Woe am I, for I am a sinful man. And then the Bible talks about the, the angels taking the tongs and taking the coal from off the altar and taking it. And, and this, this was what, what Isaiah declared. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips, talking about his sin, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And these cherubs take the tongs and bring the coal from the altar and touch it to his lips. His lips are cleansed. And then there's a commissioning of Isaiah. Who will go? And his response, here am I. Send me. 
Here am I, Lord. Send me. And he sent on a very peculiar mission. He says, go and tell them. And in hearing, they will not understand. And in seeing, they will not perceive. That's his message to Israel. But he's called of God, commissioned of God here, to go and be a prophet to the nation of Israel. See, there's, there's three things that happen here. Number one, he's convicted. He gets a revelation of Jesus, and he's convicted of his sins. This should be, when we really see Jesus, what happens in all of our hearts. When we get a revelation of Jesus, of his holiness, of his goodness, of his kindness, of his love, of his greatness, of his splendor, when we get that revelation, we realize, whoa, whoa am I? Unworthy, undone, unclean, we're convicted. And that's, that's what the message of the gospel does for us. The message of the gospel comes and it convicts us. It never condemns us. And it also never condones our sin. It brings conviction of sin. You think of the woman taken in the act of adultery. Her accuser's ready to stone her. Jesus comes to her defense. He writes in the sand the message that all the theologians are still trying to decipher. And one by one they go. This woman weeping, Jesus says to her, she's down in the dirt weeping. It's the way I picture it anyway. And Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? She looks up, they're all gone, Lord. Well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, that's the picture of what the gospel does for us right there. It doesn't condemn us. It doesn't condone us. Go, go, condone our sin. Go and, go and sin no more. It's the convicting power of the gospel of Jesus. And when we truly have an encounter with Jesus, conviction comes. Uh, over, I, I remember the day of the overwhelming weight of my sin because I'd encountered the true and living God. And it was met with mercy, with grace, with kindness. There's a picture in Ezekiel. He said, when, when, whenever you found me, it was a time of love. And you spread your skirt over me. And you crowned my head with jewels. And you put a ring upon my finger. That's what happens to us whenever we encounter God. You see, we get convicted first and then we get cleansed. Cleansing comes to our hearts. Renewal. Doesn't mean you'll never sin again. You just don't want to sin like you used to sin. And when you do, you feel dirty and you feel you're dirty and you feel like you need to go back to the to the labor and wash your hands again. Be renewed. Conviction comes, and then we get cleansed, and the next thing that comes is commissioning. I've done, I talked about it a little bit last, last week, but I've done tons of study on revival and why in some, in some revival movements it, it only lasts for one generation. Things that I could come to a conclusion upon, the lack of preaching and teaching, clear teaching and preaching of God's word. It was a lot of prayer, a lot of worship. That's fantastic. I thank God these young people are gathering on the college campuses and praying and worshiping. But we need leadership to come in and, and also teach them discipleship. There's a lack of discipleship in a lot of revival movements. And so it doesn't perpetuate. It lasts one generation. 
I told you last week, revival happened in Wales, 1904, 1905. 100,000 to 300,000 people saved in 18 months. And the first words I heard out of my Welsh father-in-law's mouth were, I'm from Wales. People think of revival when they think of Wales, but the reality is we're a very dark nation and we need revival. Why? Because the Welsh revival only lasted. It only impacted one generation. Lack of teaching and preaching of the word of God, a lack of discipleship, and, and what you also notice, a lack of commissioning. Isaiah is convicted of his sin. He's cleansed, and he's commissioned to go and be a mouthpiece for God. Saint of God, every single one of us in this room need a commissioning. We need to understand this. We are called of God. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward. This summer I get to go and preach to about six, 600 teenagers at a summer camp. And I'm going to avoid saying what I heard all my life. At youth camps that I went to, they used to say this. Some of you all have a special call on your life. I'm not, that's not my message for these young people. My message for these young people is going to be every single one of you is called of God. Step into that calling. Receive the call of God. You, you, maybe God's calling you to be a doctor. Maybe he's calling you to be a plumber. Maybe he's calling you to be a gardener or a carpenter. Or maybe he's calling you to be a lawyer. Maybe, maybe he's calling you to be a missionary. Maybe he's calling you to be a pastor. But every one of you are called of God. Every one of us are in this room are called of God. I beg you. I beg everyone in this room. Find a ministry in this house that you can serve. And every Christian needs to serve in the local church. That's number one. Number two, I beg you, find a mission field. Find somewhere where you can go out and you can declare the gospel. It might be your neighborhood. It might be your workplace. It, it, it may be going out with Pastor Bill and Scotty when they go to Portland. It may, may be going with the, the, the Craigs down into the clothes closet when we have on Mondays uh, dozens from our community come in and receive ministry. It might be going with, with Ted and Barbara and their team into the jails of Clark County and Floyd County. Find a mission field. It may be going on a short-term short mission trip to work with some of the missionaries that were connected. Find a way that you can get out and share the gospel. Listen, if, if we're not serving in the local church and working in a mission field somewhere, we're not growing in a healthy way in our walk with Jesus. That's a reality. If, if we're not serving in the local church and, and ha having our hands in this world, declaring the gospel of Jesus in some way, it's going to have a, a dire effect on our generations. Your kids need to see you serve in the house of God. Your, your kids need to see you every once in a while stopping somebody in the supermarket and declaring the gospel to somebody. Your kids need to see that. That will mark them. That will impact them. The, the craziest things, I'm going to tell you this, the craziest things, the littlest of things, you, you cussing your wife out marks your kids in a way. You arguing at home all the time marks your kids in a way. My, my wife and I have arguments. It's always her fault. <laughs> She's watching probably. No, we, we have arguments, but we, we're, we're purposeful that when, we, when, when that happens, anytime, you know what we do? We make up in front of our kids. We talk to our kids about it. See, everything we do marks our kids. 
Your serving in the house of God will mark your children. Your, your being a witness will mark your children. I'll tell you a, a crazy story. I've got a friend. His name is Lawrence Bishop. He's an old rodeo cowboy. He's a pastor today. But he's a second-generation pastor. He's also a second-generation cowboy. We used to trade horses with him. They're from Ohio. And, and Lawrence, as, as a teenager, he was a rodeo cowboy. He would ride bulls and, and bronx. And he went all over the United States. He said, I remember being 16 years old. He said, I would be riding around in this van with cowboys all over the country to these rodeos. And they would be shooting up. They would be drinking. They would be smoking stuff. Every drug under the sun, you could imagine they were using it in this van with him. And he said, while they were doing that, tears would begin to stream down my face. And he went back to this little Pentecostal church in Independence, Kentucky. Pastor Tommy Bates. Some of y'all might know that name. It's this, I went out to that church one time. We drove for miles out into the woods. It was just tree after tree after tree and a church in the middle of the sticks. And there were a bunch of wild Pentecostal people in that building. Tommy Bates played the piano like Jerry Lee Lewis. I remember watching him, and he stood up, and he kicked the piano bench back. He was standing up playing the piano. He jumped, I'm promising you, from here to there, landed on the floor. The chairs were a little closer. I, think, I promise you, he hit once and landed on top of the pew and ran to the back of the church. And when he hit the back pew, he spun and ran to the front of the church and got back on the piano. And when we were riding home from that service, I was with, with little Lawrence Bishop, and we were riding home from that church service, and little Lawrence said, when I was a cowboy riding in those vans, the tears would roll down my face, and I remember seeing Tom, the power of God come on Tommy Bates like that. And it marked me. And he said, I couldn't put the drugs in my veins. Couldn't put the bottle to my lips. I couldn't smoke nothing because I didn't want to compromise my life in any way where I couldn't experience the power of God like that. Listen, the strangest things are marking our children. You may think it's crazy. You may think it's foolish. You may think it's a waste of time to go to an outreach or show up and run a vacuum or mow a yard or work in the kids' ministry, but your kids are watching and it marks them. It makes a difference. It's a big part of this commission that we're talking about. To all generations. God wants to revive the church, and he wants it to perpetuate from generation to generation. May we live in a perpetual revival. May, may we never get tired of seeing young people lifting their hands and weeping and speaking in tongues and Repenting of sins publicly and getting dunked in water fountains on college campuses. May we never tire of seeing people come down to our altars. May we never tire of seeing people baptized. I pray that one day this church is like the church I grew up in. The church that I grew up in, it wasn't anything on a Sunday morning to have 100 people lined up praying for salvation, baptism of the Spirit, to dunk a dozen people in the baptismal every Sunday. May God give us that kind of influence. May God grant us an opportunity to have that deep of an impact. Church, I believe if all of us would say yes, if all of us would receive the commission of God on our life, we'll see it. 
Because that's what I watched my, uh, Jerome Shaw, I think I've to- told you about him again. I'll never forget Jerome Shaw. He, he served as the head usher in my home church for over 35 years. He just retired They had a, 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 from, from doing it. He's still at the church, still serving, but he stepped away as their, their head usher. But I remember watching that man come into the building. Every day there was a service. He would come in hours beforehand, and he would walk through and put the anointing oil where it needed to be, the Kleenexes where it needed to be, the offering envelopes where they needed to be. He would make sure everything in the church was straight. I watched that. It's a man that said yes to a call of God. I'm going to build your kingdom. One Kleenex box, one bottle of olive oil, and one offering envelope at a time. So whatever you do for God's kingdom, none of it's insignificant. Nothing nothing is without consequence. Every little thing we do in effort to build God's kingdom, it's deep impact and great reward. We have a great purpose. We need to get a greater expectation. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. I'm going to baptize some folks here in just a minute, but I want to take just a minute. Here, here's what I want. I want everybody in this building who will say, Pastor Chad, I, I want to have an encounter with Jesus that convicts me of whatever it might be in my life, that cleanses me and, and brings the call of God to, 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 to full weight in my life. If that's you, I want you to come down to this altar, and I'm going to pray for you. As our worship team's coming, you come. Come down here. If you want to say yes to the call of God, and, and, and I'm, listen, I'm not, I'm not calling you to be missionaries. Maybe it is. It's not a call to be a pastor. It's a call to serve in God's kingdom. It's a call to step up and do something you, you, you may have never done before. Simple things. It could be serving in our kids' ministry. It could be serving in hospitality. It could be serving in sound. It could be serving on the worship team. It could be serving in our media team. It could be serving in any capacity. But if you're ready to say yes to a call of God, to step into a new commissioning of the call of God in your life, I want you to come. Amen? Praise God. Come on, right down here. I'm going to begin to pray for you guys. I'm going to, I'm going to anoint this group of people that's coming down. I, I would love to anoint every head in this building today. Father, in the name of Jesus... Church, just lift your hands up. Collectively, would you say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of half-heartedness. Forgive me of worldliness. Forgive me of sinfulness, of attitudes. Forgive me. Cleanse me today, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare liberty from every weight of sin that has hindered us, from every mindset, from every mentality, for sluggishness. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for renewal, Lord God. Right now, in the name of Jesus, and we declare it over these people, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Lord, let, 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 there, let there be no residue of guilt, no residue of shame, but we stand before you cleansed, free, and pure in the name of Jesus. For everyone who's prayed this with sincerity of heart, Lord God, Lord, we declare your liberty, your freedom. We declare newness in Jesus' name. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would reveal yourself to them, speak to them, in Jesus' name. Who will go? Who will go? If that's you, say, here I am, Lord, send me. If that's you, say, here I am, Lord, send me. Lord, these people are here in this altar today saying, send me. 
Father, right now in the name of Jesus, Father, we pray for anointing.